0: from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. Still haven't gotten rid really of that squeak. It's, all right. it's a. <laughs> at least he didn't say the preaching was annoying. That comes later. All right, John 17. <laughs> Barry keeps me humble. John 17 this morning. And as you turn there... How many of you are familiar with a uh, blues singer by the name of Blind Willie Johnson? Anybody know that name? You know that name. Perhaps one of his most famous songs is a song called "John the Revelator." I don't know who has heard that song. varies. Y'all heard that song. Well, his his version isn't usually played. The version that you usually hear played is is a little bit uh, updated, but it, it's it's a. If you like blues music, it's a fantastic blues, blues song. If you like go- blues or gospel blues music, it's a fantastic gospel blues music. And it's got a lot of great theology in it. It, it really does. One of the, the verses says, Now who art worthy, crucified and holy, bound up for some, son of our God, daughter of Zion, Judah's lion, he redeemed us, Jesus bought us with his blood. I mean, that's pretty good theology in a song. It really is. And I bring that up this morning because there's one problem with his song. And you know what the problem is, because I've told you if you paid attention. It's the title. John is not the revelator. It is not John. You go to Revelation one one, right? And it says, Jesus or John 1-1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the revelator. John, John's the recorder. He's a fantastic recorder, but it is Jesus who is the revelator. And the reason that is important this morning is as we look at verses 6-8, through 8, that is what Jesus is going to do. He is going to reveal some truths to us about God. He is going to show us how He has manifest God's name and how He has also given us God's words. In other words, He's going to be a revelator to us of what God has done. So this morning, let's again, since this is all one prayer, we're going to read all of the prayer because it's a cohesive whole. And to break it up in just the three verses, you lose, in my opinion, some of the power. So let's read... All of John 17 again this morning. And remember, as we read this, this is Jesus, God in the flesh, God the second person of the Trinity, praying to God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may may glorify you. "...since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world." Yours they are, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them, I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. We're going to focus on verses 6 through 8. And I told you last week, when you look at Jesus' prayer, it does kind of break down into three sections. He prays for himself, a little bit of a misnomer. He prays for his disciples who are there with him, and he prays for us. Or for believers who are later. One of the interesting things that commentators kind of argue about is what do you do with verses 6 through 8? Does it go with the first part where Jesus prayed for himself or with the second part where he prayed for his disciples? Well, John does this unique thing throughout his gospel, he has these bridge texts where it just kind of, they flow from one, it moves you like a bridge, right? From one side of, you're on one side of a river, and and the bridge carries you to the other side. So 6 through 8 is kind of like this bridge text, getting you from Jesus being glorified to praying for his disciples. But there are so much in those bridge texts that we don't want to ignore them. And really what Jesus is pointing our attention to is the second point of last week's sermon, which is going to be our only point this week. And that is Jesus is glorified as He completes His mission. In verse 4, Jesus says, I have accomplished the word that you gave me to do. With that, Jesus is looking both backwards and at the same time looking forwards backwards in that he has glorified God the Father as he has done his will, as Jesus has been obedient to the Father, as Jesus fulfilled all the righteous demands of the law. I mean, again, think about that. Jesus was would have been and was an observant Jew. He would have went to the festivals. He would have participated in the meals. He would have participated in the the prayers, right? He had to fulfill the law to be able to be the perfect sacrifice. At the same time, he is looking forward in full confidence that on the cross the work will be completed, that salvation will be made possible. And as he looks forward to completing his work, he points out two ways that he reveals to us how he has completed his mission, right? This is the revelator part of, of Jesus' ministry. What did he do? Well, it tells us in verse 6 that, first of all, Jesus manifest God's name, right? That's, that's what he says. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. He's manifested the name. Now that is an interesting name, right? Or interesting word. We use it sometime. And the reason I started with John the Revelator song is because manifest means to reveal or to show. When you order something from Amazon... And it shows up or you order something from another store and it it shows up. And on the the outside, it's got that that says packing list enclosed. And so you open it and, and you look at the piece of paper and you look at the packing list. That's a manifest revealing to you what is in the box. Before you even open the box, you should know what is in there. So when Jesus says, I have manifested your name, he's getting our attention. He wants to tell us something. And he says, I have manifested God's name. Now, you know this. A name means so much more in Hebrew culture and and really in many of the other cultures around the world than it does in America. In America, a a name is, is... I don't mean to be rude, your name may have special significance to you. You know that we named our kids after family members. They have special significance. But in America, names are usually just words so that when I say that word, I get your attention instead of somebody else's. Right? There there is really nothing special about the name Gary. Right? What does the name Gary tell you about me? Nothing. I mean, some of you are trying to think, I saw you, it's like, it's got to tell us something. Nothing. It tells you nothing. (laughs) It just tells you that right now, if you stood up and said, Gary, I would be the only one in the church to turn around. That's what it does. But in Hebrew culture, it describes your character. It is who you are. I think, I've, I think I've told y'all this before because it's just one of the things that's so funny to me. When we moved to Maine, we had good friends, and they had this beautiful Labrador, or beautiful golden lab. I mean, she was just, the dog was beautiful. And we were at her house one day, and, and our friend turns to the dog and goes, Hey, Jezebel, come here. And Atlanta and I just we, just, we just look at each other like, huh. That that's 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 a unique name. Now, in our friend's defense, she didn't quite understand all the ramifications. I I, I honestly I never asked her, and I'll have to ask Alana later. I don't remember the story behind that name. I don't know if there was or if I ever asked. She thought it was pretty. So there's there's a lot of uh, theology that needs to be taught there. Um, but if you met somebody today named Jezebel, whether that accurately d- defines their character or not, you're going to think about their character. That's what a name means. It is who the person is. And so when Jesus says that he has manifest God's name, that he has revealed not just God's name, not Yahweh, but God to us, that is really a simple and at the same time comprehensive description of the Incarnation. Right? That's what Jesus has done. Now what is so interesting and what is so amazing about this is how different it is from the Old Testament. Because you can go back to the Old Testament and see God reveal Himself, right? You, You can. God reveals Himself to Moses on the mountaintop. God reveals Himself to Moses in, in, in the burning bush that is on fire but does not burn. God reveals Himself to His people as they travel travel through the wilderness by a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. God reveals Himself to Elijah in a still, small voice. God reveals Himself to uh, the prophets, right, who speak to the people of Israel. Currently working our way through Zephaniah, and Zephaniah 1.1 starts with... It begins with the word of Yahweh that came to Zephaniah. So all these ways God has revealed Himself to us. Even in Genesis 1, we read that God is a revealing God. He wants His people to know Him. All of those manifestations in the Old Testament are pointing us forward to Jesus Christ. To the perfect and final manifestation of God's name. Of who God is. Hebrews 1 1 through 3. Long ago, and at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. There it is. He is the exact imprint of what? His nature. John 17, 6. I've manifested your name. I've manifested the exact imprint of your nature, of your character, of who you are to the world. If we want to know who God is, if we want to know... What God looks like, we have to look to Jesus. We absolutely have to, if we want to know God, which is defined in this prayer as having everlasting life or having eternal life. We have to look at Jesus. This is where John really has been leading us since verse uh, chapter one, verse eighteen. Right where it says that no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him know. What has Jesus done? He has come and He has manifested God's name. He has made the Father known. But here's where it gets even better. Because we can go to the Old Testament and we can read about the manifestations of God. That that to his people. But did you catch anything? Did anything about those manifestations stick out to you? Right? He spoke to Moses, he spoke to the prophets, he spoke to Elijah. What was the Old Testament manifestation of God? His voice. The people heard him. Now, what happened in the Old Testament, though, is they turned away from God's voice. They stopped listening. Jeremiah 10, 14 states it very bluntly where he says, Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Okay, yes. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his image are false and there is no breath in them. Psalm 115.5, picking up on that, says, They have mouths, but they do not speak. The people in the Old Testament didn't realize how great it was to hear God's voice. That God would speak to them. That God would talk to him. In fact, in Deuteronomy 4, verses 32-40, through 40, I'm not going to read all of those verses, but at the beginning, listen to what it says. For ask now that the days are past which were before you since that day God created man on earth. And ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such great things as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. All right, So there's, there's the topic sentence. Go talk amongst yourself. Think about all the time that has ever been and have the following things that I'm going to point out to you. Has anything so great ever occurred? And then he says this. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of their midst of the fire, as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and make a nation for Himself in the midst of another nation by trials and signs, by wonders and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which Yahweh your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes?" To you it was shown that you might know Yahweh is God. There is none beside them. Listen to this verse, verse 36. Out of heaven He let you hear His voice. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing that God wants to be revealed, that God has revealed Himself to us. It's amazing in the Old Testament that God spoke through audible words to His people That His people heard His voice. That the people didn't die when they heard His voice. But it was still just a voice. It is not until we get to the New Testament, it is not until we get to where John is leading us, that they see God in the flesh. It moves from an auditory revelation of God to a visible revelation of God. So when Jesus says, I have manifested your name, it means that Jesus has come and stood before them in the flesh as God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, and in doing so has revealed the entire character of God to His people. You want to see what God looks like. Jesus, show us the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And this was prophesied in the Old Testament. Isaiah 52, 6 again says, Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day, listen to this, They shall know that it is I who speak, And then here I am, that's H-E-R-E, here I am. Now think that in terms of the Gospel of John, all the I am statements, right? I'm the bread of life, I am the resurrection of the life. We have all of those I am's. We also have the I am statements where before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is saying, look, y'all have been looking forward to the Messiah. You have been looking forward to this day. The prophets have been pointing you to this day. God speaking to you, revealing his voice to you, has been looking forward to this day so that now I am standing in front of you and here, H-E-R-E, I am God in the flesh, the ultimate, final, and perfect manifestation of God's name. If you want to see the Father, Philip, you need to look at me. Now, there's many, many consequences from that. But there's one pressing consequence from it. And it has to do with evangelism and mission. You probably have heard it said, if you have not said it yourself, right? Right? If I could just see God, right? If if, if I could just see God, if I could just, I I would believe. You hear people today say that. Well, if I could just see God, right? Now, we know faith is is not walking by sight. Faith is believing what we cannot see. That is faith. But they want to say, hey, I, I I want to see God, What does John 17, verse 6 tell us? We have. We have. If I could just see God. You want to see God? Well, good. Let's go to the Gospel of John and I'll read it with you. And in the Gospel of John, you know what you will see? You will see God. Because Jesus has come to manifest God's name to us. But then secondly, it says in verse 8, Jesus says, He gives us God's words. For I have given them the words that you gave me. It's another manifestation, another revealing. And again, John's gospel started with this, did it not? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we know that Jesus is the Word, capital W, Of God, that He is the Word made flesh, the Word incarnate. At the same time, He gives us words—little w words of God. That's the difference. If anybody wants to know why word sometimes is capitalized, capital word means Jesus; little word means Scripture. All right. He says, "You have told me what to speak, and and I speak them." So there's no. separation there in the Trinity. They are all on mission together. It is is the same mission. And Jesus says, I have come to reveal those words to you. You go through John's gospel again, and you see all these points, right? John has been leading us to all these truths, and he's kind of bringing them together right here at the end. But over and over and over, Jesus calls attention to the very words that are coming out of his mouth. I have spoken these things to you. I have said these things to you. Right? I've come, I, I utter the words of God. He said, listen to me, because what I am saying is God's words. And not only is it God's word, it is being said by God's Word, capital W. So what I am speaking then has the power of revelatory truth. And as he speaks, he says, look at what happens. He says, there's been a threefold process that has happened. He says, I've given them the words that you gave me. And then he says, they have received them. They have received them. Not everyone who heard God's word received them. Right? You, you, you understand that. Many people rejected God's word. It, it was, it'd was it be like if I come up here, Roger and Julie this morning. They have... Uh, brought uh, tomatoes and cucumbers and eggs to share. Thank you. Right? It's a gift. Not all of you will receive them this morning. Some of you will be late to get to the front pew. (laughs) Some of you will receive them. Right? Same is true with Jesus. Not everybody who heard his words received them. The religious leaders didn't listen to him. (laughs) The priest didn't listen to him. And in not listening to him, they were rejecting not just the words of somebody they thought was a teacher, and in the case of the Pharisees, a a, a sinner, they were rejecting the words of divine revelation. Can can you imagine that? I mean, here they are telling God, hey, I don't really want to listen to you. And, And I know that we would never do that, right? We would never ignore God's truth. We would never ignore what God's word says. So they received them. Then it says they came to know. One of the interesting things that John has done throughout his gospel is, and, and, and to me, this, this goes in the category of how we know God's word is true. Right? If this was a, a, a myth or a legend, there would be no bad stuff written in it, right? All the disciples from the moment Jesus said Peter would have been yes, right, the entire time. They would have never wavered. But throughout the Gospel of John, we see a band of disciples that say, I believe, and it's almost like we can see them say, I believe while they're shaking, right? Which is a good way to describe their faith. It's shaky, But but they, they came to know. They came to know. What did they come to know? That you have sent me. That I, I came from you. Now that's a crucial piece of information to have, is it not? Because if Jesus just came from Galilee, if Jesus just came or just came from Nazareth, just he's he's just another person who wants to be a teacher. He's just some other guy who wants to attract a crowd. If, on the other hand, they have come to know that God sent him, then Jesus isn't just another teacher teaching in the temple. There's something different about him. And that something different is that he is God in the flesh. That he has divine origin. And if He has divine origin, then that means He's God and we need to listen to Him. And so they came to know, right? They received, they came to know, and then they believed. And again, look at what it says. It says, they believe that you sent me. It's kind of the same thing, right? But if if the first one is about divine origin, this part is about divine mission. They believe that Jesus was sent for A purpose. And the purpose was to accomplish the work that He had been sent. And that work that He was sent to do is the cross. Now, isn't it interesting that they keep pointing back, that Jesus keeps pointing back? It's important that they know, that they came to know that you sent me. Why? John 6 And I want to pause there because we're going to look in verse 66. Some of y'all will figure that out in a few minutes. It says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? This is Peter's answer. Lord, to whom... Shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know, there it is, right? There's two words that we just saw in John 17. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's what Peter says. Where are we going to know? Where are we going to go? Because we know that you've been sent. We know that you are the Holy One of God. We know that you are the one who has eternal life. So knowing that He was sent by the Father is, is an important piece of information to have because knowing that truth leads you to believe, to accept, and to know, and to have eternal life. And Jesus says, I have come to give them the words so that they then can have eternal life. That was the work of Jesus. That is how He is glorifying Himself as He completes the mission God has sent Him. So tying this all together this morning, look back at verse 6. The end of verse 6 says, Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. He says, You gave me people out of the world. Verse 6 makes it very clear that there are a certain group of people that belong to God and a certain people, people who do not belong to God. If you are here this morning and you are a believer, you belong to God. So you're in the you belong to me camp. The other camp is the world camp, who stand opposed to and in rebellion against God. Now remember, we at one time were in the world camp, standing opposed to and in rebellion to God. That was me and you. But God takes us out of the world, makes us His people, and presents us, as it says here, as a gift to the Son. Salvation from beginning to end, and every step in between is the work of God. Every last bit of it. There is nothing that we can do. right? And that's the message of the gospel, is it not? That Jesus came and lived the life that we couldn't to make the sacrifice, that we couldn't to do the works of God, to fulfill the law, that we couldn't and to present himself holy and blameless before God so that he can be our sacrifice, so through his sacrifice we can be the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. We can't do it, but God can. So God did, by sending his Son. At the same time, it tells us that he has revealed God's name to us, that he has given us God's word, so that we can believe so that we can believe. What is it this morning, if you are a believer and you hear this morning, that brought you to God? Right? You, you you can go back and look at in the old testament or think about all the ways that they tried to understand God and, and reveal God, and God would talk to them through the prophets, but you didn't come to faith in Christ through a prophet. The Old Testament, they had the, 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 the Urim and the Thuman and the Old Testament, which was a way of divining God's word. You didn't come to God that way. This morning, Jesus did all the work. And in doing all the work, he revealed it to us the words of God. How did you come to faith? You came to faith through words. Peter writes, 1 Peter 3, 9, him who called you out of darkness. Called, audible, voice. His words. And the words that Jesus revealed to us are the words of the Father that give us eternal life. Jesus does all the work. We receive. We know we believe, and in doing so, Jesus is glorified. We haven't been to John chapter twenty, verse thirty and thirty-one in a while, so let's go back there. Right, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written. What do you write? You write words in this book. But these words and it says these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ son of God they believe that you sent me they know that you sent me and that by believing you may have life in his name where shall we go because you have the words to eternal life and the great power of the words is they still speak today. The words of God spoke to you, the words of God spoke to me, and the words of God speak to all who believe. And the words of God, because the words are eternal, will continue to speak and they continue to call sinners to repent, to receive, to know, to believe, and have eternal life. And the only way you have that eternal life as we see in John chapter 17, all of the gospel is John, is through Jesus Christ. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe.